Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Enterprisers, welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now Show. Listen, I know I say it every week, but I say it every week because it's true every single week. I have a great show for you today, an awesome guest, a topic that we don't cover as much as we should, perhaps, but we're going to talk M&A, mergers and acquisitions. We're going to talk about preparing your business to sell. Now, I know what you're thinking. LZ, I don't want to sell my business. I love it. There might come a day where you wake up and you don't love it. And it's not fun anymore. We want you prepared for when that day comes. It's almost not an if. Most likely there's going to come a time. So we want to make sure we're giving you tools that you can put in your toolbox so that when that day comes, you're prepared and you're ready. So Scott is going to take us through all of that. But Scott, before we get into any of the good stuff, can I get an oh yeah? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice. So firstly, let's start off with a little bit about you because you do a lot of stuff. Tell us about some of the stuff. Yeah, sure. So uh, Scott Bushke, been in the world of M&A for 25 years now, about 60,000 hours, I think I've recorded in this industry. I've uh, started Cornerstone in 2001, so been 22 years. I got in early at 24 when most people get in their 50s and 60s in this space, and really wanted to just be a sponge and absorb. So I've gone to probably over 150 conferences and learned a lot. And then since joined the boards and been the chair of the International Business Broker Association, which is about 2,500 member association, been the chair of the M&A Source, which is where we spend most of our time now in the lower end of market, which is about a 600 person organization internationally. In Wisconsin here, I started the Wisconsin chapter of the Midwest Business Brokers and Intermediary Association about 13 years ago, which is about 140 person membership. I'm author of a a book and workbook called Finish Strong, Sell Your Business on on Your Terms. And also partnered with a film director about three years ago. And we just came out in May with the first motion picture rated documentary called M&A. So it's been fun in my spare time. I coach, I've got three kids and a wife and I coach them all in basketball. So uh, that'll start up here in another month or two and take me into about March or April. Fantastic. So I don't know how this happened, Scott. I don't know if I was on LinkedIn or where I was, but I saw the promo for Eminem, the film. Okay. And I think I filled out a form or something. And then I got a message saying, Hey, come on and, and check out this screening. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And so I came <laughs> and I didn't realize, and I get there and it's like an actual 
red carpet, like a big deal. And I don't know yeah. why, but in my mind, I kind of, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, Scott, but I got there and I was pleasantly surprised that it was like a big deal. It was like an actual screening with red carpet and the actors were there. And it was a really, really cool experience, a really cool movie. And I'm happy to have been a part of that screening up in, in Green Bay. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't think that that's how it would be because all the big screenings of all the films are in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm sure you would know that. But uh, yeah, no, uh, it was a really cool experience. It was kind of a once in a lifetime thing. And yeah, we had actors flying in from all over the country and uh, filled the theater and just got great results from all the business owners. It's catered to business owners to uh, help them kind of be entertained, but also educated on, you know, what could happen if they do it right and what could happen if they don't do it right in, in selling their business. Because as you mentioned before, you know, everyone will exit out of their business. 100% of entrepreneurs will exit out. It's just a matter of, do you want to go out proactively on your terms when things are really good? Or, you know, are, are you going to be either going horizontally or <laughs> are you going to go out when you talked about you're really sick or you're burnt out or you're in distress and you leave a bunch of money on the table. So there's no right or wrong. It's what people are looking for. But you know, the scary stats out there is that, and this is kind of the movie brought this up, is the national surveys that have been out there for years, decades, since I've been in it over 25 years, is that of all the companies, big and small, only 20% of those companies successfully sell. And, you know, the third party and then, okay, well, geez, those are terrible stats. So I'll just transition it to my kids. Well, the stats aren't much better there either. The stats are the second generation, about 30% will be successful. So a little bit higher than to a third party, but then Passing on to the third generation is only 12% are successful. And passing on to the fourth generation is only 3% are successful. You know, so they're just, it's not great and it's not good enough. And that's why I've been part of associations and try to educate through podcasts and the book and workbook and the film as much as we can to business owners to help them understand that if they just start planning sooner and if they start thinking about this, as you mentioned, you know, you, you could be 10, 20 years away, but just starting to think about what are the options or what, what do I need to, what do buyers care about it? You know, or what do I want to do? What's how much money do I want out of this business to live my ideal lifestyle? What does that look like? So there's different exercises that we have in the workbook that help people get there because what we found is that if people start planning sooner and then we put a plan together and they put a team of specials around them, their closing ratio significantly increases versus those that just wake up one day and try to run the play themselves. Like in the movie, you know, one of the people out in New York talked about if you're trying to run the play and you get one chance to sell your company, one at bat, and you're going up against buyers of private equity groups and larger companies that, you know, this is all that they do is to try to get the absolute best deal for their company or their investors. And they might look at two, three, 400 deals and only buy one. And you're going to do this once time in your life. It's the largest financial transaction in your life. Most of my clients talk about it. It's almost like giving up one of their kids for adoption. You know, it's that emotional, you know, tugging and it's your personality. So of course you're emotionally tied to this thing. It's you get one chance to do it. And it's, you can see why very quickly the, the ratios or the closing ratios are so low at that 20%. And, and that's what you, know, what people, uh, you know, when they try to do themselves, they it just happens. And that's why we like to say it's, you know, a story that I like to tell a lot is think of, pick a sport, pick golf. You know, you've never played golf before and you go out to your local country club and you say, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete. I, I played basketball in college or whatever it might be. I ran track at Whitewater. I'm going to find a club pro and I'm going to, I'm going to play him for a hundred bucks in, in golf. Never played before, but I'm a good athlete. I, I'm going to play for the first time. And I'm going to, I'm expecting to beat the pro. Probably not going to happen. And it's the same thing that kind of happens in M&A as, as well. So that's why we exist is to try to help, 
even out that playing field and bring the leverage to the seller. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of things that resonated with me. You, you mentioned running the play. And what that says to me is practicing the fundamentals. And, and what's funny is my son, he's just kind of getting into basketball. He uh, had his first tryout this past Sunday and uh, we have been practicing. But when we're practicing, we're working on a couple of things. I'm working on his mindset right? Mm -hmm. What to expect, how to go about being a basketball player. And we're working on the fundamentals, triple threat, how right, to how, right. just the fundamentals, because it's impossible to become good at something unless you know the fundamentals. So talk a little bit about mindset, right? When, as we mentioned earlier, you have to be thinking about your exit, even before you start my opinion, how do you shift that mindset? Because business, it's a grind, right? It's a very, physically, spiritually, emotionally right. demanding <laughs> thing. And so how did we begin to reshape our mindsets to be thinking about selling? Yeah. And I think just because you're starting to have that conversation with your trusted advisor doesn't mean you should be selling tomorrow. It just means, like you said, just starting to think about that. So one thing that we recommend is, is unfortunately, most businesses are the largest asset that business owner has. It's usually 70 to 90% of their complete net worth, but yet only 15% of business owners have gotten a valuation done in the last one to two years. So sitting down and just on a regular basis, it doesn't have to be a 10 or $20,000 you know, certified valuation. Like we do them all over the country for $3,000. Just to, It takes about two to three weeks just to get them done, but it gives people a real number of where they're at today, and then also like with our EOVs, we also give them the two or three areas that we think they could focus on kind of biggest bang for the buck to, to make their company more saleable or, or more valuable. So that's the first thing is on a regular basis, understanding what the value of their company is, but then say, let's just say it's $10 million. Well, 10 million sounds like a lot of money, but who cares about that number? It's what are you going to net out of the sale? How much debt do you have? What are taxes going to be and you know, fees and things along that line? So sitting down with your CPA going, Hey, you know, Cornerstone said my value today is $10 million. What am I going to net out? And it might be six. It could be eight, could be three, just depending on how much debt you have and, and the tax structures. But let's just say it's six. Well, again, you don't know what that can do for you. Can I go down and buy a place on the beach in Florida and live down there six months out of the year and the others here in Wisconsin? Or am I going to shovel in snow for the rest of my life up in, up in Wisconsin? You know, so it, what you need to do then is sit down with your financial advisor and uh, say, okay, here, here's all the assets I have. Here's all the debts I have. Here's what I want my life to look like in my ideal world. I want to be able to buy A, B, and C big purchases. I want to live off of $300,000 a year or whatever that number is. And then they can work the numbers backwards with all these what-if scenarios and say, okay, you know, right now your wealth gap is $7 million. If you could bring $7 million to me, I could make everything happen at, at a pretty high likelihood. And uh, so that's what the number we call the lifestyle number in the book. So it's like, okay, your net number, and then you got your lifestyle number. And if the net number is at or above your lifestyle number, hey, you're in good shape. You can move now, maybe sooner than you thought and sell. But in most cases, people overvalue their company. Again, they think it's like giving one of their kids up for adoption. So it's very valuable to them. So they might think the value is here when it's really down here. Now their lifestyle number is here and their net number is here. So now again, they know what that gap is and they can start working towards an ultimate goal because what happens with most business owners, it's almost like running a marathon where they start out real strong and they're excited and then they get into this rut and, and slow down and it comes more of a lifestyle business. And all of a sudden now all the coaches go away, the mile markers go away and you have no idea where you're in this process. And uh, they don't know where that finish line is. Unlike a private equity group, 
And the reasons why private equity groups in so many cases are so successful is when they buy the company, they already know when and almost who they're going to sell it to. And what if I do A, B, and C, I can build more value. And they have, an, they have a start point and an end point where most business owners don't have an end point. They just have a start point and hope for the best. And a lot of them are doing very well. Like I said, most of our clients are doing five to a hundred. 150 million in revenue, you know, one to 15 and EBITDA, they're doing well. They don't know when to get out. And unfortunately, what you see is that when buyers are looking at your business, if they're going, Hey, I'm going to buy LZ's business. It's not where, you know, like, yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years and yeah, I hold on too long. I burned out the last 12, 18 months. Who cares? Right. Well, it's four years ago. I, I was killing it. Well, they don't care what you did four years ago. It's they put most, if not all the weight on that trailing 12 months. Because that last 12 months is going to be the best picture of what the next 12 months are going to be from a future cash flow. And that's what that buyer is buying. So we've seen people that have run great companies for 30 years and they hold on just, you know, say 30 years, they hold on one year, 3% too long and it costs them 40% in value. Mm. So again, but if you're planning and you know what your number is and you know what your goals are, now you're working towards something versus just waking up one day and going, Hey, this isn't fun anymore. I'm burned out. I'm tired or. Again, I've seen bad things happen to good people. People die. People get disabled. They, you know, they have a divorce and that, and that blows up the company. And there's just a lot of bad things that can happen. So it's, you want to be able to control it. That's what our job is to try to help people make well-informed decisions and help them control their destiny as, as best as they possibly can. Got it. So let's get practical a little bit, Scott. What are some of the practical ways I'm a business owner that, that I could be doing to increase the value of my company? Sure. A couple of key items on that are, you know, think of your company, put your buyer's hat on and think about the more risk there is, the lower the value, the lower the multiple. So how can I reduce risk? How can I de-risk my company? So the first major one is, are you the business? If Elsie's the business and he's the guy doing, he's making all the relationships with all the customers and he's doing all the quoting and he's the inventor engineer behind all this stuff. And you had a bunch of worker bees. You're make, you can be making $2 million in, in bottom line in EBITDA, but is it transferable? Mm. It's probably not transferable. So it's like, hey, you're killing it. But if I'm buying your company, it's either going to be on a long-term earnout and you've got to stay and work for me, or it's not saleable at all. Now, you know, so, now I know I'm interrupting your train of thought here, Scott, but I want to put a pinpoint in there and throw a secondary question in there. And then hopefully you can do that and still go on your train. But what about these people? They're telling you it's about your personal brand. You have to own the brand and the business has to be your brand. So I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, okay, you need to de-risk by not making it about you. But there's some folks out there that are saying, hey, your business is all about you. What do you say to those folks? I would say, is it transferable? Now it, it could be, and there's no right or wrong that you could build a great business. You've got a personal brand. You've got a ton of followers and you're going to make a killing. But I would say, don't expect to have a big sale, you know, a big sale at the other end. Because again, there's that risk that if you are the brand and you come out, what am I or anybody buying? We've seen people that go, Hey, I'm going to build a company that has great cash flow. And at the end of the day, I know I'm going to shut it down. You know, what we don't want is people thinking, Hey, I'm doing something great and I should have this big prize at the end of the day. You have to, and that's where, again, those big surprises come in at the end of the day. I would say, you know, if in your mind as you're building this brand and it's you, how are you going to be able to transfer that? So it might be where, you know, you're going to sell and you're going to have to stay on for two or three years. And then if it's the podcast, you're, you bring on your co-host and now the co-host is there. And then eventually you go away after a while and now they take over and, and they can absorb that brand. But it's not as clean and guaranteed what they want to have. 
is a management team there for these companies. So think of a man, manufacturing company or distribution company, construction company where the management team is going to stay. So Scott comes out and you know you almost work yourself out of the business. So it's like, yeah, I'm working on the business, but I don't do the day-to-day. I don't go meet with the salespeople or the customers anymore. I'm not bidding jobs. You know, I'm not overseeing operations. I'm just kind of around and hanging out. The less important you are to the business, ideally, yeah, hypothetically, the more valuable the company is because what I'm buying, there's a team there that's proven, no one's leaving, and I have a better chance of success moving forward. So that's the first one is is really building out your management team. Mm-hmm. The second one we talked about customers is, you know, how big is that number one customer? If you grow your business and boy, I was at 5 million, now I'm at 10, now I'm at 20. But that customer, you're kind of riding the coattails of a large customer that used to be 10% of your business. And now they're 60. Again, you're getting great cash flow, but there's risk. A single point of failure. If you're the business and you leave, single point of failure. If one customer 60% or 40% and they leave, I'm in trouble as a buyer. That's a big, I'm probably going to go bankrupt because of my cash flow or whatever it might be. So you really want to see that top customer being 20 to 25% of your business or less. So, you know, ideally if you've got your top customers, 12% of your business, the next one's eight, the next one's five, and all the other ones are two, three, four. That's amazing. Now we sell a lot of companies that are have usually 15 to 25 is their top customer. And that's usually fine. But once you get 30, 35, it doesn't, it's still saleable, but it'll either bring the value down a little bit and or change the structure where less cash at close more on an earnout piece or something along that line. Because again, the buyer is going to try to reduce that risk point. And that risk point is if that customer leaves and they're 40% of the business, I'm in trouble. So how do I protect myself? I either lower the value and do I come for all that value? Or I say, yeah, I'll pay you a fair price. But LZ is going to be over for that customer. I'm going to pay you 60% cash at close. And then that 40% of value, as long as ABC company stays with us for the next three years, I'll pay that other 40%. But now you as a seller lose control. I'm running the company now. What if I do something to upset that customer? I don't take care of them as good as you do. You put yourself at risk for some of the value that you created. So that's probably the big number two. And five years ago, I wouldn't have added this one, but with the supply chain shortage, I would now say same thing with your customers is same thing with suppliers is do you have redundancy in your suppliers? We had a deal two years ago where it was a great company. They had an amazing product that they sold to DOD and fire and police and everything else. And everything they had redundancy except for one small circuit board that was crucial to their business. And they had one player that did it. No one else did it. And they didn't have the rights to that. So if that company, if their place started on fire, they couldn't make product anymore. If they got acquired and you know whatever, or they got sideways with that. And that one piece of the puzzle blew up the deal and the deal didn't get done because buyers couldn't get their arm around. Like what happens? He's like, oh, we have a great relationship. They're really nice people. Yeah. But what if, what if that person gets hit by a truck? What happens if the place starts on fire? You're in trouble. So having redundancy from a supplier standpoint, I think is important. And then we talked about just the importance of taking that deep breath and finishing strong. And I think, so having margins, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of buyers want to see an, an EBITDA margin. So taking your net income, adding back you know, any personal expenses, any one-time costs, any one-time income like PPP loans and things like that. And then adding back your interest on long-term debt, amortization, depreciation, business taxes, getting to that normalized EBITDA, they want to see that at about a 10% margin or above. So if you're at 15, that's great. If you're at 20, it's really good, but at least around 10%. Now, some industries are just lower than that and it is what it is, but whatever, you do want to be above the industry average. I think that's important because it shows that LZ's got some kind of a secret sauce 
that his customers are willing to pay for that's above what the average is. If you're just a low cost leader, again, that hurts value because somebody comes out with a new technology that's a penny less and you're going to lose customers because they're only looking at cost. So I, I think, and that you're going strong. You know, if it's one story, if you're finishing strong and you're growing and you got this upward trend, it's another story, like we said, is that most businesses are, are going up like this. It's like, man, I'm making so much money. Hey, you should sell now. Why would I want to sell now? I'm making so much money. All of a sudden it's, oh, now I'm burnt out and geez, now it's time to sell. Well, geez, it's not, it's only worth what? It's only worth this much now, but it was just worth this. Yeah, it was, but now you're burnt out and you've come up kind of over top of that S curve. And that's when now a buyer's going, okay, yeah, you were at 3 million EBITDA, but now you're at 2.2. How do I know it's not going to be 1.8 next year when I buy it? So they're going to, again, bring that value down or restructure it differently. So if you can finish strong, now we can say, hey, here's what we're doing. And boy, Elsie, if you buy my company with your know-how and your connections and all your extra capital, boy, you could take off even further with this thing and, and you get them buying in to this upward trend. And that's where you get the higher multiples and things along that line too, or, and you get the competitive bids that we usually get. Mm -hmm. So in the book, you uh, mentioned the three-legged stool. What's that all about? Yeah. So that's where we talked just briefly up front, but it, it's so important because most Business owners, unfortunately, they don't know, like we talked about, what their business is worth. So one day they wake up and say, yeah, I burnt out. I'm going to call my CPA or my attorney and, and I'm going to go call a couple. I'm going to call my competitor on the street and they'll help me put the deal together and it'll be easy. Well, number one, calling the, your competitor on the street is probably the worst person that you can call because they're going to say, sure, I'm interested. You know, I'll say, give me a, give me this information. Give me that information. Like, okay, sure. You know, well, I got him. Oh, I need this too to make a well informed decision. And then also you got all this competitive intel. And then you put in a low ball offer because again, your secret sauce is better than my secret sauce. So why should I pay you a premium? And now all of a sudden I go, Oh shoot, he's got all this information on me. He could try to compete against me in an almost an unfair stance. And that's what most competitors will, will do. And uh, so what you want to do going back to your original question is, is number one, get that valuation done. And because most business owners, as I said, they don't know what it's worth. They don't know how much they need. They don't know what the net number is going to be after a sale. And they just hope and pray that what if they can sell it by chance, it'll allow them to live their ideal lifestyle. But they have no idea. And it's this gut-wrenching, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? And they have no idea. So if you understand your value realistically, so there's a lot of groups out there that will tell you what, whatever you want to hear to get a fifty dollars or $100,000 retainer. You know, we'd say, we're going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear to make a well-informed decision. So and then again, sitting down with that CPA going, okay, it's $10 million. What's the net number? Okay, the net number is six. And then, with my financial advisor going, Hey, what do I need to live my ideal lifestyle? Okay. It's five. Well, great. I should net out six. I only need five. I can go to market. And now I'm going confidently knowing that, all right, what I've done, what I put in place is enough to live my ideal lifestyle. Where you see some people is they have no idea. They might only need 5 million to live their ideal lifestyle, but for whatever reason, they just want 10 because that's the number they had in their head. It's, an e it's never 13. It's always 5, 10, 20. You know, it's an even number. And so they turn down offers and, and they want 10, but it's really worth six. So they turn on offers at five or six or seven because they want 10, even though five would get them to where they want to be. And then all of a sudden it goes in this death spiral where they start going down, down, down. And also now three years later, they're just liquidating, you know, shutting down the business and liquidating it for assets, you know, their assets, which are cents on the dollars. And they're only going to get 2 million. So they don't ever live their ideal lifestyle. So it's one of those of just understanding what the value is. That's the number one reason why businesses don't sell is value expectations. And the seller is always, almost always high. So if you can get the right value expectations, that will get you 
50% of the way there, over 50% of the time, that's why deals don't get done is that if the seller just doesn't, someone told them a bill, you know, sold them a bill of goods. And when it's too good to be true, it usually is like anything else, or they're just guessing from themselves or saw an article and well, everything sells for a six multiple or five multiple. So I'm going to put that on my business too. And, and businesses are so different, even within the industries, you know, what's your revenue? What's your growth trends? What's your margins? What does your management team look like? What's your customer concentration? What are your supplier agreements? What's the culture in your company? How trained are your employees? I mean, there's so many things that go into, is your company saleable? Is it transferable? What's transferable and what's that ultimate value and structure? Yeah, I feel like a, a Baptist street preacher when I'm talking to folks about your top line is important. Your bottom line is important as well. But so is everything that happens in the middle, <laughs> right. right? Where things are going, how it's allocated, all that stuff is important. Scott, I'm curious, could you take us through a, a typical deal, including some terminology? Because I know, again, my listeners, we don't think about selling our business a lot. So maybe right. just help us think through, okay, on a typical deal, here's the team that is is in play. Here's some of the terms. And I heard you mention net a few times mm -hmm. and your know, dream team and things like that. So could you take us through a, a typical deal? Sure. So uh, there is such a thing, but yes, we'll go through the timing. So the, the Nash average is about for a low rental market company is probably 11 to 12 months. Our time frame is usually six to eight months to close a deal, but it starts out with the conversation of just a confidential, no cost, no obligation conversation with the client to sit down and talk about, Hey, they're thinking about selling. What questions do they have? Usually they want to talk about their industry. You know, what's going on in the industry? What's going on in the MA market? What's the timing? How important is timing? Which timing is really important, which we talked about. And just answer all their questions. And then we do a discovery call with them at the same time, just learn a little bit more about the company and their goals and what they're trying to accomplish. And then if that makes sense, we'll do that estimate of value. And as we talked about, meet with the CPA, meet with the financial advisor that, you know, that the doing the EOV takes about two to three weeks. Let's just say that all makes sense. So then we sign an engagement agreement for us. The first month or so three to five weeks is kind of getting ready to go to market. So we have a copywriter. She'll interview the client. She's her master's in journalism from Marquette University down there in Milwaukee. She's been with me for over 20 years. So she'll talk to the client and just help them have them tell their story. Cause what we found is a lot of groups will say, Hey, I was in your spare time, fill out this 40 page questionnaire. It's like, no, I'm running my business. I got all this stuff going on. And I don't know if this should be a sentence, four paragraphs. And you just can't write your story, but telling your story. If I said, Hey, tell me your story. How did you get started? And where are you at today? And what products and services do you offer? And why do you win business? And what's your secret sauce? And you know, where could your company go? What's the growth story? So that's what we try to do is to get a succinct slide deck or, or, or book to put together in the company. Then again, it's all confidential information. And then at the same time, we work with our analysts here and our team to brainstorm with the client about you know what types of buyers do you think would be a good fit? But then having our team take that up and spend maybe a hundred plus hours really diving in of which you know, who are the buyers? Is it private equity? Is it family office? Is it a private company? Is it a public company? Is it domestic? Is it international? You know, what does that look like? And it might be where we have, we identify 40 targets or buyers and we might have 400 buyers or targets identified. And then the seller, so that takes about a month. Then the seller will sit down with us, usually face to face or if we're distance, you know, virtually and they'll review the whole book or this, we call it the SIM, the confidential information memorandum or the SIM, which is basically the marketing book. And they'll review and sign off on every single page to make sure they understand that it's accurate, it's correct. We'll put the, there's no better story that we could tell and everything's accurate. We're not saying anything that's not true. And then they'll also sign off on the buyers because sometimes there's a buyer going, you know, we, we're working with you. You might say, you know what? I don't care who you sell to, but <laughs> do not sell to ABC company because they're just unethical. I don't care if they paid double of what everybody else paid. I would never want to sell to that company. So we 
make sure if there's any blacklisted companies, it's usually one or two or, or none. But now they've, they understand what we're saying about their company and who we're going to go talk to before we talk to a single soul. Now we run our process. And because we bring a team of five to work in on the deal, it's not just one person working the deal. There's five specials that touch it. We can move very quickly. So our goal is now is to create urgency and scarcity in this deal. And uh, so within 30 to no more 60 days, we're going to market these people, get them the information. Again, they have to sign a confidentiality agreement or NDA before they get the information. So there'll be a one-page kind of teaser that, again, the client size off on that kind of would pique people's interest, but not let them know that it's your company for sale. So we keep everything confidential because there's no, you don't want your competitors, your customers, your employees knowing that you're thinking about selling your business. And then from there, once we go to, they, they sign an NDA, they get the, the SIM, they review that, we'll answer some questions. And then within, we'll, we'll ask for IOIs or indications of interest. So that's kind of a one to two page agreement that just a very high level, but it's going to give us a value or a range of value, a structure, timing, just to get an idea of, are these guys just bottom feeders and low, giving us low ball offers or are they at or above our expectations? Because again, when you go to market, one of the big mistakes that people make is they put an ASCII price on their company. So if you're a main street company or like your house, you know, you're going to put a, a number out. So those 2 million or less companies, but with our companies, most times the people we're going after are synergistic in nature. So you have no idea how they're going to value that company. So we're not going to put an asking price on it. And then they're all going to put in their bids. And we averaged last year, five offers per client. So we get those five offers. We might say, okay, hey, one's low ball or we don't like this other one. So let's narrow it down to three or four from those that will a week or two weeks later, we'll bring those in for a half day meeting called a management presentation where we're going to vet them. They're going to vet us a little bit. We're probably going to show some slides about synergies between the two companies or entities and how we could grow this together and kind of put our best before us like a, the first date, so to speak. And it's going to be usually face to face. And then from there, two weeks later, after those meetings are done, we try to get them all done in the same week or seven to 10 days. And then two weeks later, we'll ask for LOIs or letter of intent. So that's basically taking that framework that we had. And now it's not a range. It's $7.8 million. It's not seven to 9 million or whatever it might be. What's the value? What's the structure? And now we're bringing in the legalese. This is where the attorney comes back in and the CPA comes back in to help us with asset allocations and reps and warrants and caps and baskets and all the other things that you know are typically we want to try to get as much into that LOI as possible. Because right now we have the leverage or the seller has the leverage because we have five other buyers at the table. And the goal now is to go from five buyers or four buyers down to one buyer. And then you go exclusive with that buyer for probably 60, 90 days. And that's when you're working exclusively with them, going through all the due diligence. And we'll have a virtual data room where we have everything uploaded so the buyer and their team can get involved in that. And that's where the legal comes in. And so, you know, kind of your deal team is once you go to market, it's the investment banker or the M&A advisor, your CPA or someone help working that with you on tax. It's your attorney who just kind of knows you and your business and where the bodies are all buried type of a thing. But also you don't want to use a generalist. This is where you need to bring in the M&A attorney. I like to say I've had the same doctor for 30 years and I've done do an annual physical. I know him. He knows me personally and my body better than anybody else. But if all of a sudden I had some headaches, found out that I have a tumor in my brain, I'm not going to have my doctor do the surgery just because he's a doctor and he knows me really well and I like him. I'm going to the brain surgeon who does it every single day, life or death kind of stuff, and then come back to my doctor for checkups. Same thing with this. You don't have to fire your attorney, but you do need to bring in an M&A attorney because the vast majority of attorneys are not, don't specialize in M&A. But that's really your your deal team working through the process. And like I said, it's, it's about a month to start the process and get everything ready, a month to two months to go to market another month to get through the meetings and get the LOIs, maybe another month to negotiate LOIs, and then 60, 90 days 
to close. So that's kind of the typical process. And, and we run a structured sale process. So we're controlling the timeframes. Other groups will just go to market and put it out there on, on other sites and wait for people to call them. But the problem with that is I might get an offer from LZ today. And well, it's pretty good. I'm not sure. But now Scott's got an offer, but oh, he's busy. He can't come in for a month with his offers. Now, do I take LZ's offer or do I wait for Scott's offer? And, and we want to make sure what we do really well is we herd all the cats together at one time. So we give our clients, again, we give them good information up front so they can make well-informed decisions. And then our goal once we go to market is give them as many options as possible. So because if you have one offer, we'd like to say one offer is no offers. And that's where there's so many unsolicited offers out there right now on the lower rental market because buyers, there's so much money and there's so many buyers out there and there's still not enough sellers to, for all this activity. And buyers know that if I can get to LZ, if our LZ talks to Scott at Cornerstone, who is an investment banker, and I can get in on a one-on-one negotiation, I am going to get a better deal as the buyer. And you, LZ, are going to leave money on the table. And our worst structure or all of the above. And so that's where you know we work. We, we actually have a program with unsolicited offers where we can move very quickly. And we've, we're able to keep that one buyer warm at the table, never lose them, but then bring other buyers to the table and, and create a, a, an auction-like environment. And by doing that, every single time, not once, has that initial buyer bought the company. We've always had other companies that have been a better cultural fit, better, you know, better, more value, better structure, whatever it might be to get the deal done. But that's the process. So when most people think, oh, it's just an event, like sell my house, I'll put it on the market, get three offers tomorrow and close in 30 days. It's like, no, it's a much longer and more tedious process. But that's where we talk about the planning. So if you're thinking about selling your company, we ask people like, when do you want to be completely out of the company? Because you might want to prepare for one to three years, but ideally five years, you know, but one to three years and think of about a year to sell. But then everybody's like, oh, shoot, I forgot I'm burnt out. But now you got to stay on and transition. Even if you've built out the team, they're still going to want you to stick around for maybe three to six months or up to a year. And some people three to five years. So it's like, you got to figure out when you're out. And if you feel yourself start burning out, you want to start talking to somebody like us right away because it's probably only going to get worse. Too many people don't burn out and then get re, re-energized you know, in their business. Once they're starting to get tired, they're tired and they need to get out. So you want to get out sooner rather than later. Yeah, I love that overview. It really gives a good picture. Now, is there a retainer that clients are paying through that whole process or is it the one-time valuation or how does the money work? Yeah, it, it depends on the firm, but how we work is where the majority of people, and there's different national surveys, they, they have a large retainer up front and then they have a success fee on the backside. So usually those retainers for people like us that have a team, you know, limited clientele, high closing ratio, our closing ratio last three years average was 85%, where again, the national average is, is 20% all in. They usually charge 40 to 100, $150,000 up front. What we charge is five thousand upfront. Currently, what we charge, obviously, it always change, but we charge five grand upfront and then five thousand a month for six months, and then we credit back those monthly fees against the success fee. So, a couple of reasons we do it like that, and we're in the minority, is number one, think about if you had your house remodeled or your kitchen remodeled, and you said, "Hey, Elsie, I know you're a great contractor. Here's eighty grand. Just let me know when you're done. I'm sure you'll do it on time, and everything will be perfect." But now you've got all my money, and I've got no. I've got nothing on the backside that I can hold leverage on you. So we want people to say, hey, if you're not doing your jobs, Cornerstone, I'm not going to pay you. Now, again, that hasn't happened to us, but they have that option. But on the flip side, we've had a couple deals. It happens about every two to three years where you know we had one client a couple of years ago down in Iowa that we were selling. And the benchmark was like $20 million. And again, no asking price. We had a bunch of offers, like 18 different offers. And we had four buyers still left between 24 and 26. So we benchmark was 20, we're at 24 to 26, should be champagne glasses out, excited. And I got a call from the two brothers. They were two 80-year-old brothers, neither one of them in the company. And they said, you know, the numbers just don't work. 
And I said, well, I'm not a math major, but we wanted 20. We're going to get at least 24. The number should work. And lo and behold, they just couldn't emotionally let go of their business. They just couldn't let go of their baby. And they didn't know what they would talk about at the country club because all they did was own owners. And now they're just, now I'm just Scott. I'm not Scott, the owner of Cornerstone. And they just pulled the plug on the deal. And I said, well, that's fine. Yeah, but we're at the 11th hour, you know, we're eight months into it, hundreds of hours. So with the way we structured, I'd rather know in, in month two or three, Elsie, when you don't send the check, that you're having second thoughts about selling, because that's a lot easier to break apart then. Then when all my teams got hundreds of hours into it and we got offers and we've exceeded everything, it's like, well, now how do we, you know, figure out this mess? You know, you, we've got a contract that says you, you're going to sell. And so that's why we do it. And on the backside, where most people will charge the highest percentage on the first dollar. And then as the deal gets bigger, it tears down. So maybe 10% on the first 2 million, 8%, 6%, 4%, then 2% and everything thereafter. We typically charge a set fee commission. And then if we can hit that benchmark, anything we exceed past that benchmark, kind of, hey, we thought it was going to be 10 million. Elvis, we got you 13. On that extra 3 million, we actually have the percentage jump up. So it's it's kind of an incentive that we're aligned. So think of it's a, a $10 million transaction. They might be 10 on the first two, eight, six, four, two, which I think is $600,000. We might be 5% on the first 10 million and then 7% on anything thereafter. So we'd be a half, a hundred thousand dollars less on the first bench up to the benchmark, but then we're, we're going to be at, at 7% on everything thereafter. So it just aligns us that if we can knock out of the park and hit a home run for you, then let's all share in the success a little bit more. But it, it varies. You know, if it's a $3 million deal or probably eight or 9%, if it's a $50 million deal or probably at two and a half percent, you know, it just depends on the scenario and the markets and everything else. The biggest contributor to what the commission will be is what's the size of the transaction. Got it. So help me understand the market sizes that you guys typically work with. Yeah. So most of our clients, so there's kind of three tiers that we see. So the first tier on the bottom is kind of what we call the main street market. And it's zero to two, zero to $5 million revenue companies. Usually the values are two to 3 million. So think of, you know, drive down main street America. It's your bars, your restaurants, your retail location, brick and mortar service, small service companies and things like that. So those are typically handled by business brokers, commercial real estate people and things along that line. And then the next big tranche of, of advisors come in at where these bigger investment banks that you know so a lot of the names of, hey, we're not even going to get out of bed for a less than a million dollar success fee. We want to, yeah, so these are 50 million, 70 million, 100 million, $200 million deals. So where we saw the biggest gap 20 years ago, and it's still there today, is above that business broker. So call it a $3 million enterprise value. And below where the bigger investment banks come in. So if you say, you know, 50 million at 2%, there's your million dollar fee. So that three to 50 million enterprise value, which usually translates into somewhere around 5 million on the low side to 100, 150 million on the high side, depending on the industry and revenue or one to 10, one to 20 and EBITDA or cash flow. That's where we spend our time. And so we bring in that investment banking model that a hundred million dollar company would expect. And we're bringing that down to a 10 or 20 or $30 million company. So that's kind of how we've set ourselves apart and how we uh, differentiate. And we think it's, and other studies have shown, it's the most underserved marketplace in the United States. And it kind of, you saw the film, it talked, you know, some other people talked about that in the film as well. It's just kind of still the wild, wild west out there that, uh, you know, there's no formula set reporting for financials or if buyers are good people or bad people, you just don't know. There's no good reporting mechanisms at all. Wow. Time has flown. Before I let you go, Scott, tell us a little bit more about the book, where we can get it, and then the film as well and where we can watch it. Yeah. So as far as the book goes, finish strong, sell your business on your terms that you just go to Amazon. And unfortunately, they won't let you bundle the two together. So the book will be at finish strong, sell your business on your terms. And then if you type in finish strong workbook, then the workbook will come up. It's two different ones. And you can pick it up there. Like I said, it's, it's a tool for business owners to just take a true holistic approach to their business and not 
there's, you know, there's a lot of books on driving value and the, how the art of the deal that's in there as well, but it's more about not just what you're going away from because you're tired, but what are you going to and what is that next picture going to look like and what's important to you in a deal and, and, and ranking those different deal points and everything else. So it, that'll get you there. And then the film is, you can see the trailer at www.ma for mergers and acquisition, madecade.com. And then they'll have different showings there. So what the method of that is that Doug has put together is different financial advisors or trusted advisors are licensing the film in their home markets and then marketing that. So if you go to madecade.com, I think you can even put your name in there. So if it comes into your neck of the woods, they'll let you know and, and things like that. So that should start rolling out in limited theaters in the rest of this year, but then kicking up more in the first quarter of 2024. So yeah, take a look out for that. It's an hour and 24 minutes, you know, typical film and should give you a lot of good ideas of what to do and what not to do when you're preparing to sell your company. That's awesome. And if folks want to reach out to you, Scott, to learn more about Cornerstone and what you guys are doing, how can they do that? Absolutely. So yeah, it's simple as just give me a phone call. The number here at Cornerstone is 920-436-9890, 920-436-9890. Or you can check out our website at cornerstone-business or hyphen business.com. And my email address is S B as in boy, U S H K I E or S Bushke at cornerstone-business.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Scott. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And like I said, all calls are confidential. So give us a call. I'd love to have a discussion with any of your listeners. All righty. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.